Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Alright, this is the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. A lot of energy there. Uh-huh. This is the Laugh Podcast After Hours. We're actually recording this at, uh, after 8 o'clock at night for the first time ever that I can remember. Um, and the movie that we're going to be reviewing this week is an, an appropriate movie for all ages, The Secret Life of Pets, also known as Slop. No? That's fine. All right, so I had to write my own synopsis because I'm not trusting IMDb anymore. You, Richard Lusk, had to go write the yeah. synopsis? Oh, are you trying to like give me a hint there? Over there is a host. Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. How are you, sir? Doing well. And then I'm the other host, Richard Lusk. Uh, and yes, I personally had to write my own synopsis of The Secret Life of Pet. There's two of them. Due to internecine rivalries and surrounded by semi-incompetent human beings, two dogs of uncertain breeds, Max, voiced by Louis C.K., and Duke, voiced by Eric Stone Street, are lost in New York City and encounter a number of complications as they attempt to make it home. Boom. How do you like that? Bye, Gidget. So long, Mel. Bye, so long, Mel. See you later, Chloe. Max, I'll see you tonight. Ever wonder what your pets think about? Oh, I miss her so much. <gasps> She's back! Forgot my phone. Oh... I miss her so much. What they talk about. Hey, fellas, how's it, fellas? Hey, fellas, how's it? And what they do when we're not home. Any plans today? Look at my plans. It's all laid out right here. Bam! Bam! <laughs> that ball of fluff's got a screw loose. It's a ripoff of, of uh, Toy Story, just using pets. I don't know. I don't, I, uh, we can come back to that. All right. We can come back to that. I, I couldn't remember Toy Story, so I looked it up, but I typed in The Secret Life of Toys. There used to be a, a TV show called The Secret Life of Toys, and it came out in 1994. I don't remember it. Toy Story came out in 1995. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're thinking ripoff? The Secret Life. Yeah, that's right. Toy Story rope ripped off The Secret Life of Toys. It was a Jim Henson production. Hmm. So, anyway... Yeah, so you went to this movie with uh, your wife, I take it. Mrs. Two Frames, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say one frame, but I've already used that joke for some other reason. Uh, We went to the Friday morning show uh, up here in Gloucester with a bunch of kittles in the audience. So uh, she'd been looking forward to this. The trailer had her very excited about the film. So we went and saw it together. Well, the trailer was one thing, and the movie was com- something else, right? Yes. That, so, what was her experience with that? Uh, that was her biggest gripe with it. She loved the trailer, and then about five minutes into the film, you've seen everything that was in the trailer. So, she loved the first five minutes of the movie, and the last five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. The, the rest, she just didn't know that it was going to be this uh, did you Homeward know? Bound journey. Uh, I think there had been another trailer released, or I saw some making a feature at so, yeah, I knew that it was going to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She thought we were going to have more of these cute little segments with the animals. Mm-hmm. And 
that's what she wanted. She was laughing a lot during the short that played before the minion shorts mm-hmm. where, you know, they're doing all the lawn work and she mm-hmm. loved that. Loves the first five minutes. And then the rest of the movie, not so much. I mean, there's still moments in it. Mm-hmm. I think we both really enjoyed, uh, the cat, uh, Chloe, Chloe. Yeah. Played by Lake bell. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of her own cat in the interactions. Fatness. Yeah. And just the, like, I don't care. Why is this mouse still attached to my paw? Right. So there were lots of great uh, moments where they captured those little idiosyncrasies. Of animals. Yeah. yeah. Animal behavior. Those little things. So, you know, we enjoyed those as pet owners. But story-wise, meh. It was fine. Nothing great. Yeah. I mean, you don't really necessarily have to, with these kind of movies, jump in and pick nits. Mm -hmm. But I do, I am comfortable revealing the fact that this movie is not necessarily what was advertised. Uh, listener um, Linda H had the same experience with it. And she had some problems that uh, with, with the way some of, some of the animals were presented in terms of, um, I don't know, the elevation of menace. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the first word that occurred to me while I was watching it this morning was horrifying. Maybe that's a little harsh, but there were some things in that movie that I, I, some little concepts that again, we can get into nitpicking (laughs) and things, but there were like some character things and some decisions, some choices that I was a little bit taken aback with. And I, I know that's not been the general critical consensus that it seems to be safe for, for younger kids, but I don't know, man, it was hard for me to get through some of it. There were some terrifying moments we were thinking, yeah. uh, watching the film, uh, I guess they, they go into the sewers. We, we don't need to be more specific than that at this point. New in the York show. City, yeah. And, and yeah. It is, yeah. And some stuff happens, and we were a little shocked by that level of terror and even violence. Yeah, I was I was as menaced personally in that as I was in the shallows, I, I thought. We didn't sit near any children, but I kind of would like to see their little four- and five-year-old faces <laughs> drop. That's because you're you're an evil person. <laughs> uh, I have I looked for that critical response from out there, and this is doing pretty well. Uh, critically, uh, I think, higher than um, the Minions movie. This is at 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. As of this recording, 98 positive reviews, 31 negatives. And even the negative ones didn't really point out that those concepts. So maybe the standard for um, animated fare is different nowadays. I, I Maybe it's not as menacing. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm too... Uh, I don't know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe I'm too uh, sensitive to that idea of menace that's not really there like if because when i was a kid i'm trying to think when i watched cartoons like roadrunner and stuff mm-hmm. like that they had you know giant rocks falling on them all the time and they always came back it was everything was okay so i didn't i was never really scared watching scooby-doo or well and then uh some of the characters are Clue Club. more realistically violent as opposed to like Snowball, played by Kevin Hart. Yeah. He's this little fluffy rabbit, and he's just over the top and crazy, but more in a, oh, he's so cute. You know, you don't really feel any menace right. with him. You're, you're not really Supposed- scared of what he's going to be able to do, but there are other more vicious animals that show up in this right. film, and I could see that scaring a child. There were some things also in terms of uh, 
some of the characters' backstories had horrifying uh, elements to them as well. Like, not horrifying is not maybe the right word, with the exception of um, one of the characters that sort of pals around with Snowball. And I'm not going to say the breed of animal, or not breed, but the type of animal, mm-hmm. the species. But his name in the movie is Tattoo. And that backstory was, uh, I mean, I was hoping to find out his backstory, but then when I did, I was I was a little, you know, mm-hmm. taken aback, shocked. Well, it was uh, sad to me. Sad. And then there was another character, Norman, a uh, guinea pig. And he was running around. And his story was sad. Like, just... It filled me with a sense of angst and anxiety and sadness that I wasn't expecting for the secret life of pets, you know. Oh, no, I agree. But even uh, the main character, I love Louis C.K. as the voice of uh, Matt's, who's a Jack Russell terrier. Oh, I see. I I didn't know. I couldn't tell. According to Wikipedia, he's a Jack Russell. All right. Uh, I I think Louis C.K. has a great kind of whiny voice. It, it sounds like a dog voice to me. I could imagine a dog sounding like Louis C.K. And I, there's just a lot of character in that voice. I, I really like that. I really like Jenny Slate as Gidget, the little white American Eskimo dog. Mm-hmm. That's kind of uh, Max's yeah, love interest. I, I, I couldn't I thought, tell if that was a cat or not. <laughs> I, I, I thought those were great voices. I like a lot of their interactions at the beginning of the film. But the movie is so quick to move into Duke, uh, the Newfoundland. That comes to live with Max. Again, I didn't know what type of breed yeah. that was. The, it, it didn't let us have nice inter- inter- interactions. And um, they go, after Duke comes in, they go and get walked. There's a professional walker who takes them to a dog park. <laughs> yeah, and that allows them to make their escape. But there were so many moments where they could have, before Duke had come, gone to that same dog park and had cute interactions between all the animals and let them be dogs and for us right. to see what dogs are like. No, they wanted to jump right into the yeah. uh, chase scene. They Which wanted. I think is a shame because there was there was uh, a great opportunity to just have fun well, and the dogs could have behaved in a rambunctious way, much like the minions do in any of the films they're in. There's, there's a couple of reasons why it's a shame. One of the reasons is you never really get a handle on why Gidget is so nuts over max i mean they mention it a couple of times what he brings to their to the group friendship and uh i thought that those motivations were i, I mean they made sense but they came out later they didn't show that they just kind of said it. it was a you know throwaway piece of dialogue mm-hmm. and then i mean matt max and duke were just kind of dicks <laughs> can i say that yeah, especially Duke just didn't have a whole lot of character, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand why I would care what happened to either one of those two dogs. And I, you said Louis C.K.'s voice was acting was good in it. I like Eric Stone Street in uh, Modern Family. Yeah, he's pretty good in that. Uh, I, 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 I like the actors. I don't think I like the characters, and I. I I don't know why we were following them. If we had followed the uh, the, t- the tattoos, not tattoo, Norman, Chloe, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. Gidget, and uh, Tiberius. If we had if we had known more about them, not tattoo. I didn't want to know much about tattoo. If we had followed the story of Norman, Gidget, 
Chloe and Tiberius the Hawk mm-hmm. and used Max and Duke as the MacGuffin, I would have had a much better experience with the movie. I it thought it would have been their story and not the not those two. Yeah, films. Gidget had some of the funniest scenes. Yeah, she in, in the movie, and you know she could be over the top and start acting like a cartoon. And, and we are watching a cartoon. I think too often the other characters were trying to embody being an animal that can talk and emote. Uh, Jenny Slate, she was able, you know, to bounce between those two things and make it work. And it, I, I really, I, I enjoy her. Her work, Um, but those were also scenes that were designed to be funny. Duke and Matt's all their scenes were designed to advance the plot, and it was like we just had to hurdle along. Well, up until there's a fantasy dream sequence that stopped made me stop dead in my tracks. Yeah, which was bizarre. And and I have a TF moment. I have a theory why they did that. Okay, I actually went found out why they did it. Oh, okay. Well, then what was I'll, your theory? My theory is that they want to do a Gumby movie, and they're using that to test the animation techniques. Because apparently Pixar and a lot of their shorts that they put out ahead of their films, they're testing animation techniques that will then get used on later films. Huh. So I was thinking, wow, this looks really weird. There's a weird aesthetic. Why would you want something that looked like this? Oh, it kind of looks like Gumby. If you did 3D animated Gumby... All right, I, I, that I don't know about. That that might be a little too inside baseball f- for my understanding of it. They did ask Christopher No, the director, co-director, to explain EW, that is Entertainment Weekly, asked him to explain that that sequence. But I think I might want to hold off on it until we get into spoilers. Oh. <laughs> so that's a tease for later in the show. <sighs> but even that scene mm-hmm. and other scenes with Max and Duke aren't. Just advancing the plot, I think they're they're also pushing the theme that that um, of of friendship and sacrifice and what it means to to grow close to somebody and to rely on somebody. I mean, I don't think they did it well, but I think that mm-hmm. that's why we're following those two dogs because that's the lesson of the movie. That's what they want to get across. That's the the hook for parents to bring their kids to this thing and to elevate it. Above a simple, uh, like that minion short that you mentioned. Yeah, I just never felt that the character growth was earned in this film. Yeah. It came way too easily. You know, it's a single single sentence and it's, okay, now we're buddies. Okay, now I'm willing to risk everything to save you. That just didn't work. I mean, there's another character that comes in and has a complete role reversal way too easily, I felt. Right, I agree. Yeah, the, the motivations were just strange and bizarre. And then there were strange... I mean, there was just not enough of certain things in the movie to explain why this thing is going on. Uh, at one point, one of the characters is in control of a of a giant piece of moving equipment. There's nothing to set that up. And it, it touches on the themes of, uh, you know... Uh, touches on some of the themes I mentioned before. I know I'm dancing around it, but because I don't want to ruin anyone's experience with it, but it seemed to be in there mainly because it was pretty cool animation. And it was mm-hmm. a pretty cool sequence. And, and yeah, if you're doing that as like an action thing, then that's pretty cool or, you know, nice for kids to watch, but it's not, there's nothing to set that up. And there were a whole lot of breaks like that, where it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Okay. This happened. Now this thing happened. Now, 
this is going to happen, and then, oh, okay, no, we don't really well, need to follow that thread very far. It, it seemed like the um, storytellers were getting tired of having to create semi-plausible-slash-cool visual ways for these animals to move about the city and to cover vast di- uh, distances. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, it's like, oh, uh, let, let's just... I mean, they literally get him a taxi at one point. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's so just, what's the time frame for the movie? Uh, one day. Yeah, exactly. So it's way too quick. Or the main it's story is one day. I guess it's. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the middle part of the movie. So uh, there is one good thing I can say about it. It was, I thought, gorgeous animation of the setting of New mm-hmm. York City. New York City was rendered uh, beautifully. And I wanted this, like the very opening sequence where it's a bird's eye view of the city and it's at fall and they're going into central park and uh you know you see a variety of characters before you even meet the main characters i was impressed visually i I was more into that than i was into any of the uh like superhero action movies that normally rely on visual effects i think that's fair i also thought the animals the way they were animated was Mm -hmm. fantastic uh just the way they moved, it felt organic. It felt like whatever species That's they were trying to be. pretty hard to do. Hair and water. And I thought that they did those two things really well. Oh, yeah. And, but then also just the idea of um, being in this location and uh, understanding the characters in the setting. It's not like the setting was another character, that old trope. It mm-hmm. was its own thing, and it it was more of a... Uh, sort of a fishbowl, you know, idea of a setting instead of, um, like there are some movies set in New York where New York is the obstacle. I don't think that's the case here. No, you could have set this in any number of cities. But they could have gone that way. They could have gone that way. They could have made the obstacles that these characters have function as a result of being city instead of <laughs> in the country. And so that's there, but it's not, you know, it's not that impressive. The, the, the thing that impressed me most was the visuals. Well, I also thought you can recognize that they're in New York city in almost every frame, but they never go to any of the landmarks in New York city. Except the opening sequence. There's the, the, um, statue of Liberty. Okay. You, you, you see you that, see that in the on. flyby, right? Yeah. And they but, go into times square. They go into New York Times. Yeah, and then the bridges, the Verizon. Well, I bridge guess they're on they're on a bridge. <laughs> it's in there in the river. But I, I don't see them up top on the Empire State Building. No, they're, no, they're, no. They, no, they it, could have tried to make it much more iconic. Yeah, and they they shied away from that, but yet it felt like they were in New York the whole I think, time. I think the Times Square sequence was when uh, Chloe recognizes herself. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah so. I forgot that. Okay, okay, that was a good joke. All right, so. Um, would you recommend this to people? To yeah, if you've got a kid, take him. They'll enjoy it. It's past the opening weekend, so it doesn't matter for me if you go or not. <laughs> yeah, I would say if you have a kid, they'll enjoy it. I don't think there are a ton of inside jokes for adults and you know references. This isn't like one of those uh, Shrek movies or even Pixar is pretty good with having adult jokes. I didn't really notice much with this film for that. But it's a well-made animated film. It tells its story well. It It's not going to go down as one of the all-time greats, though. But it's still a very good effort. There was a lot of potential for it, though. And I personally, because of my my proclivities towards pets and towards that world, am, uh, I was sort of let down. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, a single male adult going to the theater alone, I would 
probably not recommended for that type of audience. But I don't know Fair about enough. kids. Whatever kids are like. All right, so let's spoil some of these things. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so the, Well, the other really good part was uh, Kevin Hart as the character Snowball. For me, that was the life in the movie and the that character and his mannerisms. He was the funniest I've ever seen Kevin Hart be in any movie. I, I'm kind of over him as a, not, I don't even know if I ever got into him at all. He just never, he never made me laugh until <laughs> Secret Life of Pets. And I laughed a lot with Snowball. Yeah, I thought Snowball worked a lot as a character. So, until I mean, it I, didn't. I, well, <laughs> It worked until it didn't. I mean, eventually the shtick got old, and one of the problems they had in the second half of the movie was characters were able to uh, move around way too easily. Yeah, Duke and Max make their escape on the ferry, and they're going to Brooklyn, and somehow the uh, Snowball and all of his gang members are able to track them to, in Brooklyn right, 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 right away right. way too easily, much like the two uh, henchmen, the, the dog catchers yeah they're everywhere they show up yeah. at least three separate times yeah they're every there when they need to be but they're not there when they're when they don't need to be i mean arguably they're the best and the worst dog catchers in the world because <laughs> they could try to get around <laughs> yeah uh sounds like my dating experience in high school <laughs> i could get dates i just couldn't keep them so i agree with you there i agree with you on uh some of the the way that they condensed all that stuff down. And I'm wondering if maybe they had designs for it to be a much longer movie or if they want to flesh it out and have a whole life of pets universe and then follow each one of these pets around and have their own standalone movies as intercrolls or something like that, because I'll save it for spoilers. We're in spoilers. Oh, we are. Yeah. Is that why you were okay? Spoiling? The, yeah. The, all right. But that, I didn't really, pause into spoilers i don't know how you said that. let's get into spoilers i was like <sighs> okay norman <laughs> they capture norman the guinea pig the the all right so uh the giant crocodiles or alligators or whatever the craps in the in the sewers <laughs> they menace gidget and i didn't even mention pops pops was awesome <laughs> i love pops pops gidget and all chloe and all these other ones that are chasing trying to find max and duke uh, Norman gets caught in the mouth of this giant alligator, and then they're like, "We got one," and then they never come back to it again. They never. You, you would think that they were going to use that to somehow bait Max and Duke mm -hmm. into trying to rescue him too, or you know, sort of adding on. No man left behind. That kind of thing. Instead, he just shows up on the bridge. He just shows with up with everyone later. else yeah. with with the other. You know, he's like gone over to the dark side. And they don't really mention him much at all until at the end you kind of see in the denouement section you kind of see him coming back to to his uh, to his owner. Yeah, and even that was a bit of a letdown. I mean, I like seeing all the interactions yeah, with the owners. Here I am, back home. But these animals have caused destruction all over the city. A huge car wreck on a bridge. You know, a vehicle goes over the edge. All of that. There's got to be news coverage of this stuff, right? So I was waiting for that scene of. Uh, Duke and Matt sitting down with their owner, Katie. She turns on the TV. What were you guys up to today? 
tonight, top story. Huge right. car wreck caused by animals. Giant animals. <laughs> and then it's, what were you, what were you Heard doing? You know, that looks just like you guys. Yeah. You know, kind of like at the end of the Home Alone movies, Kevin would always get yelled at because he had uh, been found house. out by the parents. Yeah, you know, or his hotel bill in the second one uh, had finally been seen by the father. Huh. I was waiting for that moment. Yeah, I, I think that they had designs for other things, but then they just decided to go with gags instead of um, in, in, instead of developing a story, a coherent story that seems that seemed interconnected. I, it's easy to compare this movie to Pixar movies like uh, Inside Out, and I didn't, I haven't seen Finding Dory yet. I don't know if I even really want to, but a movie like Inside Out, you can see the connections from uh each scene and how it moves to each scene mm-hmm. and why it's there why is this character doing this thing at this point and what are the results of this decision this movie doesn't have any of that it's just well it has some of it but it, it doesn't do it well and it doesn't do it enough and then you're sort of kind of left out there with why would this small animal walk over the bones of other small animals to get near this hawk and then give it a second chance after it tried to eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if Tiberius earned her trust. <laughs> and again, it's picking nits for a little, you know, a animated film. Pixar-esque in, in terms of its production, mm-hmm. but not necessarily in terms of its story. Well, and I, f- I don't know if I it's feel fair like or not. Pixar spends more time developing their stories. This movie was announced in January of 2014. And it was supposed to be released in February of this year. So just, you know, a two-year development time. I'm sure they were working a little bit on the story beforehand. But a what? lot of Pixar films, they're in development for three, four. Right. I think Inside Out was like seven years. Pixar knows now that it's not doing any more sequels to any existing Pixar movies. After, after Incredibles. And two. Toy Story 4. Oh, I didn't know. They don't have any more on the slate. But their whole but thing is. But they do have things slated out until 2025. Oh, yeah. I mean, so they're working on stories and they're willing to say, this story isn't working. We need to rejigger it. We need to change these characters. Uh, Zootopia, which was a Disney animated film, they switched who the lead character was. The Jason Bateman Fox character was supposed to be the main character. A year out, they went, this isn't working. And they changed it to uh, Jenna Goodwin's uh, rabbit character or bunny. Yeah, that's why I was thinking if they could have switched this movie up to focus on Gidget, Tiberius, and Pops. I forgot about Pops. But if they had focused on those characters, I would have liked that a lot. Or if they had just stuck with, this is what pets do when their owners aren't around. Mm-hmm. And even those rules seem to be sort of uh, inconsistent. Well, that's what really got to me was this loyalty that the pets have to their owners is supposed to be universal. And they will do anything to be with their owners, except for Duke. You know, we find out that he was taken in. He was this um, orphaned puppy. Or no, no, no. That, I'm sorry. That was Max. But he was taken in by this old man, yeah, 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 yeah. raised, and it's great. He gets separated from his home. Doesn't really try to get back home. Yeah, it was tacked on there at the end. And then he gets mad at Max because he says, you were just trying to get rid of me again. And it's... Well, for some reason... Yes, but he's also trying to get you back with your owner. Don't yep. you want to get with your owner? And he never seems to be sad that his owner is dead. I kind of fault the movie for that because it doesn't really explain why Max that Max or Duke doesn't doesn't really understand if he was abandoned or not. I, I don't I, 
I think like like Duke, I don't really know why or how he wound up being lost well, and picked up at the pound. He smelled the sausage factory. He's trying to always get to the sausage factory, and yeah. then he could, or he chased a car, but he knew the sausage. Oh, a car factory, and a butterfly or something, and he could never find line. his way home. Yeah. But then they get to the sausage factory, he's able to find his home then really easily, and they were able to smell the sausage factory from blocks and blocks I guess he, away. I, I, I think just, there was some line in there that said that he was afraid his owner wouldn't accept him because he ran away. Was that it? Yeah, I think there was something. But, I mean, but, you're right. The but movie, then I fault the movie for he that. He finds out his owner's dead, and he never grieves. They went through a, a whole lot of story there right? real quick and never let the characters breathe and react and earn their character uh, right. changes. Yeah, well, I mean, except Duke is always a dick. He's, he's throughout. Well, he saves Matt's then later on in that scene from Does, the dog catchers. Uh, he he yeah. sacrifices himself. Maybe because he just wants to, he hates dog catchers. I don't know if he really likes Max that much. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Inconsistent, bumbling. Uh, sometimes when you go to a movie and you expect one thing and you get something else, then it, mm-hmm. it's actually exciting. It's much better than you expected. Like Inside Lewin Davis. This movie, for me, Inside Lewin Davis wound up being really awesome, and I wasn't expecting it to be that great. Same thing with the last Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, because there's that whole musical element in it. Why doubt the Coens? You're right. But with this movie, I was expecting it to be the secret life of pets, and it wound up being this this chase sequence, the chase sequence of, of, you know, Two guys that kind of don't really like each other that much because why should they? Nobody else really like them that much. Yeah. Except people do like them. Yeah, I, I think you're taking too much for granted. I, I like that you bring up the Coen brothers and dealing with animated films. To me, you just say, you know, it's a Coen brothers film. It's going to be awesome. Bill Murray famously did that when he was offered the role of Garfield. And he's like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, it was written by the Coens. <laughs> he gets to the set and he starts reading. He's like, wait, this is Cohen with an H in the middle. Yeah, different Cohen's. Oh, he was apparently livid at that. But he thought, well, yeah, if this is being written by Joel and Ethan, <laughs> you know, okay, it's Garfield, but I'll trust them. Right. I teased this out earlier. So oh, I come yeah, back yeah. To the sausage. The sausage thing. Now, the... Two molt the the two dogs get into the sausage and then they have this strange hallucinatory drug induced stupor. Mm-hmm. They they call it having a um can I say this a meat gasm? Okay. <laughs> they go into like this hallucination by being meat drunk, and Renault was interested in this concept that a lion eats too much and it makes him feel sleepy. And he was thinking he said. What if the meat induces a hallucination for him? And he said that in this article in uh, Entertainment Weekly, Renault, the co-director, said, yeah, I was thinking specifically of the scene from Dumbo, where Dumbo and the mouse drink some alcohol and then they have an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. I was so looking forward to going to a movie and not seeing a drug reference. <laughs> and then they used meat instead. Yeah, it was. It, it was a weird choice artistically with that whole visual look of it. Well, the song choice was weird too because it was "We Go Together" by Greece. <laughs> yeah, from the Greece soundtrack. Yeah, and then they weren't really. They really hadn't established themselves as being true friends to each other. I don't know if you noticed it when they're running through the sewers. Uh, 
Duke kind of like throws Max off his back and leaves him leaves him for dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually they all they both jump off and wind up in Brooklyn, but well, I mean, <laughs> they sort of gloss over that. That's why I think there was a different thing going on in this movie. Uh, originally, the song was "Heaven Is a Place on Earth." by Belinda Carlisle. And they tried that. And I, I thought that would have been a better choice. It makes more sense at that point in the movie. Instead of We Go Together from Greece. Yeah, I just... It, but I, I wish they had more time to polish and refine this film. I think if they had another year to work on story, we could have had a awesome movie. I think ultimately, though, this is Renault's point, is that you can do whatever you want in animation. And okay. I, I think that they're taking advantage of their position as the global, one of the global leaders in animated film in terms of, ah, we can do this. We can have a Busby Berkeley dance sequence in the middle of our movie here. Kind of slop, slow everything down, but yeah, we can get some sight gags and there can be some music and some fun. Uh, maybe we can get away with that. And I don't know if they, I mean, for me, they don't, but I guess kids like it. I just hate the fact that it's, we're back on drugs again. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. I just, oh well. Still, I, I think it's a fine film for kids to go watch. And a lot of other people did too because it made $105 million. $103 million. So where does that put us in the box office challenge? Uh, that brings me up to just uh, $432 million. I only have two films left. Uh, you still have three films left and you're at $250 million. So it's just a $183 million gap that you got to close in on. Ooh. Maybe one of your maybe one of your movies won't open. Yeah, I've got uh, Ghostbusters this weekend, and they're calling Jeez. for I think forty five to fifty million. I think it'll be better than that. Okay, deal. All right, we'll talk about that in the uh, preview show. All right. Uh, it may do better than that, but it won't do. It, it, I, I'm not interested necessarily in seeing that movie. Are you? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters? Uh, the Second Coming. Not terribly. Third Coming. Oh, he's the third film. All right, I, I, I was thinking we'll, Resurrection we'll, of Ghostbusters. But so, do we? Do you have any idea what the next show would be? It's not that. Uh, if it's not, it would probably be the Infiltrators. Okay, Brian Cranston's new movie. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So there will be another show coming out. So we get more drug references. Yeah, but at least this is drugs are bad, <laughs> and not this is something you want to do with your BFF. Feed Even your dog you way really too like many sausages. Much. Did I tell you about the strippers that were throwing raw bacon to my dog? I think you're going to have to tell me that story after the show. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter that they're strippers. They just happen to live next door to me. And I came home from work one day and I heard... <laughs> and I looked down from my window and I could see into my next door neighbor's yard. They just happened to be dancers. And she was taking slabs of raw bacon to just throw them over the fence. And my dog was just gobbling them up. She'd throw it over the fence and then she'd look through a peak hole in the fence. She was really excited about it. I had to go tell her to stop. <laughs> I didn't want my dog to get trichinosis. Well, at that raw point, bacon. he's either got it or he doesn't. Yeah, he, he was into it. Oh, yeah. All right. So you say this is a knockoff of Toy Story. I do. Remember Woody from Toy Story I do. came to the realization that Buzz Lightyear was a toy. And this also says something about himself, too. He calls Buzz Lightyear a toy, calls him an action figure, just a child's plaything. Buzz says, You're a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. <laughs> so, for Mr. Bull over there, it's been a pleasure. 
I'm the L train. Box that bottom. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. 